for Junior Church. We are going to look at a number of passages, and I'll give you a heads up. Uh, we will be looking in the book of Genesis starting in chapter 10. We will be perusing that, but the main passage that you may want to stick your bulletin in there or something like that is going to be Acts chapter 22 beginning at verse 26. We'll do that near the end, but in the beginning we'll be looking uh, back at the beginning. If you've been here before in the last weeks, not last week or the week before, but uh, we've been looking at stewardship of government. Remember, stewardship is this. It's the good, right, and proper use of everything God has entrusted to us. We live in a country where we have a considerable input into our government. And if we have that privilege, we have a responsibility that goes with it. That's why the last sermon in this series, there's only one more left. It won't be next week, but the week after that. We'll be talking about our concept and how we think when we vote. We are not talking politics, folks. If you think I'm talking politics, you're not listening we're talking principle. We're talking biblical ideas. And they may or may not fit with what you're thinking right now. You may have to change your mind. I don't know. That's up to you. But here's what I know. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I won't do any of those things. I wouldn't if I could. Um, and I don't want to. Because here's what it comes down to. You need to think these things through. And you need to know what you believe. And then you need to act according to what you believe. That includes every area of life. We just happen to be talking about the one that deals with the government. So, if I'm going to use to the fullest, good, right, and proper, the input that I have into the government, then I need to be informed. I need to know what God says. If you think, well, maybe I'm just one person. I've heard this so many times in my lifetime. Well, I'm just one person. My vote, my uh, letter to the editor, my letter to my senator won't mean a thing. Well, in one way, maybe you're right. But you're wrong. Because if you don't, who is going to? If everybody thinks that way, nothing happens. And then you gripe and complain and moan and groan and bellyache and you put all the other words you want in there. I'll start with the illustration when I used to work, and I worked right down over the hill doing construction work, our foreman, he would moan and groan day after day about how horrible the government was and how he didn't like this politician and that politician. Finally, one day, I just had had it to hear with his moaning and groan. So I said to him, I said, so who did you vote for? He said, I didn't vote for anybody. I haven't voted in years. And I said to him, and, and uh, I said, until you vote, I don't want to hear you moan, groan, bellyache, complain about anybody else. And you know what? I don't know that he stopped doing it with anyone else, but he never again, as long as I worked there, never again said that to me. Because guess what? He wasn't being responsible. He wasn't being a good steward. He wanted to complain, but he wasn't willing to do what he could do. That's the whole thing. And if you think this only applies to government, you would be wrong. There are at least three entities that have been given by God for mankind to help us to organize and to put our life together. Government is one. That's the one we'll talk about, so I won't go into detail. 
The first one is family. Most of what should be done in this world should happen in a family. If you have family issues, the family should deal with them. Children should obey their parents. Parents should be responsible to teach their children. Husbands and wives should be faithful and accountable to each other. And there's a third one, and you're here this morning. It's the church, the local church, where God has designed that people come together to be instructed, to worship, to fellowship with each other, and to hold each other accountable. Leaders of the church should hold the people accountable. The people who attend the church should hold the leaders accountable. Mutual accountability. It's a biblical concept. You go, I don't know about uh, those two. That's fine. But I don't know about this government one. Okay. If you want to memorize any verse in Scripture that will motivate you to be a good steward of what God has entrusted to you, and I would say this in any country, but the United States fits this better than any country I'm aware of, is 1 Samuel Chapter 12, verse 14. You'll hear me use this again next week. Because here's what it says. Remember, if you don't know the context, they had begged God for a king. They said, we want a king like all the other countries. God was not against them having a king, but he wanted a king of his choice. They wanted a king of their choice. And here's what Samuel said to the people. This is 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. See, it's easy to pick on somebody else and say they don't care, they do whatever they want or they're corrupt or whatever whatever people say. But here's how they can get away with that, according to this principle. If I do nothing, they're going, nobody cares. So I can do whatever I want to do. Well, guess what? You have, especially in the United States, you have opportunities to make a difference, to be a good steward. And I challenge you, and and my last sermon will hound on that one, but uh, I challenge you that that's what we need to do. Now... There are those that around us, and I'm only going to get at one major concept today. I had a whole lot of other things, but we're, we're just going to get one of them done. But the question we're going to ask or the, the concept we're going to deal with is, do countries have borders and do countries have citizens? Is there a difference when you cross a line? Is there a difference from someone who is a citizen and someone who is not? particularly if they're an illegal immigrant or an illegal person in the country. Is there a difference? Biblically, absolutely. And you go, hold it a second. This whole thing of government and uh, where, where a country is, that's all man-made. Wrong. That's why we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 10. I spent a lot of weeks going through those chapters probably a year and a half ago. But we're going to do a quick review of them now. Because guess what? Countries are God's idea. 
People in specific places with a border is God's idea. Citizenship and responsibility both directions is God's idea. I will show you those concepts. You may have not thought about this because let's face it. We're going to see this. Way back in Genesis chapter 11, the people said, we're not going to do what God wanted. He had told them to scatter all over the world. And they said, nope, we're going to do what we want to do. We're going to have one people, one place, one government. And God said, you think you are? I'm going to prove to you you're not. Well, guess what? If you listen around, keep your ears open, you're going to find out that there are a lot of people who are clamoring for we're in a global society and borders don't matter and citizenship doesn't matter and all those kinds of things. They're dead wrong because it's biblical that those things exist. Now, you need to know what the biblical principles behind it are. I I started thinking I could do a whole quarter of Sunday school and still probably not cover all this material. So I'm not going to try to tell you I'm going to cover all the principles this morning. But these things are biblical. They come from the Bible, and we need to understand them. And we need to understand them very specifically when it comes to the nation of Israel. So I have a few things that I believe I'm going to cover today. You may go, ah, you didn't cover that in very well. Well, we can talk about it on Sunday nights and and, uh, other times. But I believe that God divided the world into countries because God divided the world into manageable divisions. Why did he do that? By the way, that was God's concept, not, not man's. I believe there's a couple of reasons. First of all, he keeps sin at bay. You can have the most horrible country doing the most despicable things, but there's a border that they can do those things and treat their people badly and do all kinds of wrong things. But they get to a border and the next country says, ha, not here you're not. In other words, just like there's not one just big church and everybody goes to it, there are lots of little churches. It's accountability. It's responsibility. It's a good stewardship, and God brought that principle up because each government holds their people accountable, and each people should hold their government accountable. Once you get so big, accountability just kind of falls through the cracks, and you cannot really manage things. And from the beginning, that's how God has made it. God also has designed, and you can read it all, especially in the Old Testament, you can read that God has used specific countries to spread the good news and specific countries to judge other nations. Uh, You may not like that, but God absolutely used the nation of Israel to judge the Canaanite people. He said, their iniquity is full. I want you to go in and wipe them out. They were an entity unto themselves, and so was Israel. He says, here's what I want you to do. He also designed, and Israel did not, take the good news to the world. They refused to do it. In fact, is Jonah, why Jonah sticks out in the Bible like a sore thumb is because Jonah actually did take the gospel to another country, but it was the exception, not the rule, and you all know the story most likely, that he didn't even do it on a voluntary basis. God had to put a fire under him, literally a 
in a fish or a big sea creature of some sort to get his attention and to get him going in the right direction. Other, uh, how about Israel? He used the Babylonians to judge them. They refused to turn from idols. God warned them over and over and over again. And finally he said, that's it. I have had enough. And he used the Babylonians to come in, defeat them, and carry them away captive. You see, the individual entities, and just in case you didn't know this, God is so big that he can use righteous and unrighteous people to fulfill his will in this world doesn't mean the unrighteous people will all of a sudden become righteous because God uses them for his purposes. They're still unrighteous, but he uses them, and then eventually he will judge them. But God is bigger than that, and he uses the nations as a tool or an instrument to to carry out his control and judgment. And uh, he also uses individual nations, particularly the nation of Israel, to bless other countries. We will look at this in a few moments, but in Genesis chapter 12, it's very clear that the nation that would come from Abraham was going to be a nation, a people that would bless all other peoples. And so if you just kept it just to the nation of Israel, I could make most of these points, but it's even bigger than just the nation of Israel. So let's go to Genesis chapter 10. We're going to do this rather quickly because there's a lot of territory I want to cover. But in Genesis chapter 10, you will recognize that it's right after the flood. The flood was God's judgment on the whole earth, wiped out everybody except those of Noah's family that were on the ark. You all know the story. It's a real story. And afterwards, to Noah's three sons, he said, I want you to spread out and I want you to fill the whole earth. In fact, is when you start in Genesis 10, 2, it says, for, for Jatheth, for example, uh, I want you to be the one who is of the coastlands of the nations. And he separated them, notice, into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. The word nations is a word that has particular to do with the people themselves in that territory, in that country. There's another word that's going to be coming up here in the next passage I'm going to refer to that refers to the patch of land itself that has borders around it, the territory itself. Both of them are used. In the United States, we kind of use them interchangeably. But the Bible uses two words, and they're almost interchangeable, but they're not. They have a different principle that is there, and they are used over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Of course, the sons of Canaan, uh, and Ham being the primary one, they had a territory that extended a different place. And then if you continue on to verse 21, he said uh, Shem's uh, territory was supposed to be another place. But here's the point. He said, I want you to spread out. I want you to fill the earth. I want you to do that. He knew what sin was like. And he knew that sinful man on his own would blow it again badly. Well, guess what? Sin never gets reformed even with judgment. Sin is still sin. The sin nature is still a sin nature. The sin principle is still a sin principle. 
and immediately after a corrupt world had been destroyed, mankind went right back to say, we're going to do it our own way. Okay? We're in Genesis chapter 11. You know the story. It's the Tower of Babel. And it says there in verse 1, the whole world used the same language, the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east, they found the plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. Wrong. God said spread out, and he actually told them where to go. I'm not gonna, for our purposes, it doesn't matter where they were supposed to go. I, I dealt with that a year and a half ago. It, it, all it means is they were spread out and filled the whole earth. And what did they do? They all get together at one spot. And they didn't spread out. They said, yeah, we know, just like Eve and Adam did. Oh, well, we know we're not supposed to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But you know what? It looks good. We're going to do it. Here, oh, we know we're supposed to spread out. But, yeah, we don't want to do it. Well, look why they did it. And then you begin to understand that countries and borders and territories are God's design to manage the world to control sin, and to have people be accountable. It's God's idea. So let's look at what it says. So they all get together, and they said, let's make bricks, let's build ourselves a city, and I'm on verse 4 now, and a tower whose top will reach to heaven. So this has a spiritual aspect that goes to it. And let us make ourselves a name. Notice, it wasn't about God's glory, it wasn't obedience, it wasn't an act of faith, it was me. We want to do what we want to do. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. (laughs) What did God tell them to do? He had just told them to do that. And they said, no, we're going to do exactly 100%, 180 degrees different than what God said. That's a problem. That's pure, straightforward rebellion. And that's what they did. And so... (coughs) I've had a cold for two weeks. You'll have to excuse me a second. Hopefully that'll be the last one. God looks down, verse 6, and said, You know what? I put a lot of potential in these people, and now there's nothing which they purpose to do that will be impossible for them. They're not God. They're not all-powerful. But he says, You know what? Mankind will be totally out of control and self-centered to mankind. They'll be humanists to the core. And so what he, what's he do? He confuses their language. That's where Babel comes from. And uh, it says it's called Babel because God confused the language of the whole earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. They wouldn't do voluntarily what God asked them to do. So God said, I'm going to do it. So when you look around and you see different nations, you recognize that is God's control mechanism in this world. Oh, you look around, you go, this world's messed up. No kidding. Sin is, all people are sinful. There's a sin principle. There's Satan who is uh, trying everything to tell people, do whatever you want to do and don't do what God tells you to do. So yeah, there's a problem. But then we find in the very next chapter, we have the first recorded immigrant, if you will. Okay? By God's design. You see, All countries have immigrants. All countries have citizens. There is, and I won't have time to go into the details of this, but let me tell you ahead of time. 
that under the law, it's very clear that those that are invited guests into a country, those who have come into a country, uh, they are to be treated equally with someone who is from that country. A native-born person like the Apostle Paul will say in Acts chapter 22. There's not a different standard. You cannot be, biblically, prejudiced against someone because of where they were born. Doesn't mean they belong in the country, but they're in the country. They're there legally. That is the way it's supposed to be. You need to treat them. And by the way, they have to be under the same law that everyone else is. For example, I don't know if you've had thought about this or you listen to the news. If you don't, you will know that in many countries, and they've tried it in the United States, that there are whole blocks and communities and sections that say, we don't want to be under the law of the country we live in. We want Sharia law in our section of the country. Totally unbiblical. If you want Sharia law, go to a country that has Sharia law from top down, but not in the United States or not in one of the European countries. Because guess what? That is totally the opposite of what we saw from the other sermons. You cannot be in the country and be a law unto yourself. It doesn't work that way. But now, and and there's nothing wrong, like I said, all countries have immigrants. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, Paul is going to address that when we get to Acts chapter 22. But it says in verse 12, I'm sorry, verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12, it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation using the same words that I've already described. He says, Abraham, okay, you were a part of those that I scattered out from from Babel? Okay, now I want you to pick up stakes, pull up stakes, and I want you to travel to a country that I'm going to show you. Notice he's going to go from the country that was his native country, and he's going to go to another country. He was a pilgrim, an alien, a stranger in that land. To the point where even when he needed to bury his wife, he had to buy from a citizen, he had to buy a patch of land so he could bury his wife. There's nothing wrong. He was invited. He he wasn't doing anything wrong. It's just he didn't own it at that point. Eventually, they will own the whole thing. Today, it's kind of up and down and all over the place. But he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. In fact, as he goes on to say, and I will bless you and I'll make your name great and I'll make you a blessing. And those that bless you, I will bless. And those that curse you, I will curse. Second big thing is, if you are thinking, hey, what's God's concept of government? First of all, we already looked at that concept overall. They are ministers of God. That's what Romans chapter 13 says. Absolutely. But here... It says that God has the right to give something to someone. And the truth of the matter is, if we are going to be surviving and blessed as a nation, we better understand that God has said, 
I have given something very specific. By the way, it says a people, because of those two words, a people to Abraham and a territory to Abraham. If you see Israel today, it is a small, it's just a small fraction of what God has actually given to them. But if we don't support Israel as a nation and our, our, those that are our rulers don't support Israel, we're in trouble, folks, because this promise did not go away. Those that bless Abraham and his, his uh, uh, race after him, they'll be blessed. Those that curse, there's a curse. God is not done with Israel. I don't know if you know this, but there is a huge move among Christians that God's done with Israel. Israel's yesterday's news. God is only dealing with the church and all the blessings of God are to the church. Not true. We are blessed people, folks. You know that. But God's not done with Israel. I'm going to go back on a couple of verses here and look at that. But we need to have those, uh, and we need to have the mindset that we need to support Israel. As I said from the beginning, countries do have borders. For example, the first country that is spelled out by name that has borders is Egypt. And it's kind of interesting how it comes up, because Joseph has now been put in charge of saving Egypt and the world from starvation. And it says that in that process, in Genesis chapter 47, that Joseph took all the people from all the borders of Israel and put them into cities. You know what? Israel, I mean, um, Egypt knew exactly where they started and stopped, and so did Joseph. He was responsible for the citizens of his country. And... uh, (coughs) He brought them all in. Even later on, when the prophets told Israel that they were sinning, he said, they're going to come in and um, they're going to check you out. And in Hezekiah's time, it says they came in from a far country, that is from Babylon. It was a known entity. I already mentioned Jonah. Jonah says uh, when he is uh, rebelling against God and running from God, the sailors come to him and says, what is your country? They were most likely Phoenicians. He was not a Phoenician. He goes, they go, where are you from? Well, you know, where, where's home? That, that concept is there. And uh, he made it uh, clear when he was praying, Lord, when I was in my home country, uh, I know what you told me to do. And then in Jeremiah and uh, Ezekiel, It says in Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 15, it says, So they will know that I am the Lord when I scatter them among the nations and spread them among the countries. Again, same two words we've been looking at. God told Israel, if you do not obey me, I am going to scatter you to the far corners of the earth. That is still true today. I know Israel now exists again, but a lot of Jewish people are scattered among all the nations. And there is a time, and that will be during the millennium, when it says in Jeremiah 23, verse 3, it says, Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all of the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture, that they may be fruitful and multiply. 
Yeah, some Jewish people have come back to Israel. But they are still scattered. That will not happen. God is not done. He promised some very specific things to Israel. And so God looks at this and says, Hey, you know what? You were, remember that one principle I talked about is God uses nations to bring judgment, to punish. And that's exactly what he did. He said, I'm going to spread you out all over the place. But there's a time when I'm going to bring you all back. If you're still not convinced, I never saw this before. I've read it, but I never thought about it before. But when you get to the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 2, it says there that in the new Jerusalem, and this is after the heavens and the earth, the old heaven and earth are destroyed, even in the new Jerusalem, there's a river that flows down the middle of the city and on both sides are the, the tree of life and they bear fruit 12 times a season and every month. And then it says this statement. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Even in eternity, when everything is perfect, when God is in total control and sin isn't even there, he still has the concept that people are divided according to nations. It's not a horrible thing. It's just God's way of dealing with people. It's a principle that's above and beyond even sin in this case. And God, as we already said, has the right to divvy out uh, material, space according to what he says. As I already mentioned, uh, there are laws that we need to represent, uh, live under. Now I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 22. As far as I'm concerned, this kind of puts this whole thing together. Um, Acts chapter 22, verse 6. If you don't know the background, I'll give you a little bit of background. You'll see it here in in vague form. The Apostle Paul was hauled before the authorities. They were going to beat the tar out of him, just because they were mad at him, just because they didn't like what he was doing. Maybe they wanted a confession. We don't know. The word that's used here is we're going to examine him. Okay, believe me, if you got examined in the way they have, it's not a test to get in school. Okay, it's not a driver's test or any of those things you're probably going to die from it. I'm going to pick it up now in uh, Acts 22, verse 26. When the centurion heard this, and that is that Paul said, hey, I'm a Roman. How can you beat me when I'm a Roman and I haven't been condemned? How can you beat me? It's against the law. Paul had no problem saying, I'm a citizen. I have rights. And he claimed those rights. Look what it says. So this, when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and told him, saying, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman. They would have been in big trouble if they had beat him without him being condemned and being judged worthy of that kind of punishment. And the, and the commander goes to him and says, tell me, and this is to Paul, tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, yes. Now, notice what happens next. Remember I said all countries have immigrants? fact is, probably every one of you in here is an immigrant in some of you not that many generations away. All countries have immigrants. But look what this says. And this is very interesting. The commander answered and 
answered, I acquired this citizenship with a large sum of money. So the man who was doing this, he says, I'm a Roman citizen, and I became a legitimate Roman citizen. In their case, the process was, our process is very different than that. And some of you know, uh, because I've, I've been uh, helped people and, and talked to people who've uh, immigrated from Canada and other places. Man, it's a process and a half. It's not for the faint of heart. But he says, I went through the, the process, and it cost me a lot of money to become a citizen. This is, this is the Roman. And he says, you know what, I'm legit. I've got all the rights of a citizen. By the way, that's what happens when you become uh, a naturalized citizen. Paul says, oh, no, no, no. And he doesn't say I'm a native-born citizen. He just says, I was born. That's what it says in Greek. I was born. I'm a native-born citizen. You see, both of these guys, while Paul says, I was born here. I'm a Roman by birth. You're a Roman because you were naturalized that way. But they both have exactly the same rights and privileges. Just from a different, coming from a different position. Now continue on. Verse 29. Therefore those who were about to examine him, that is to beat him, uh, immediately let him go. And the commander also was afraid when he found out he was a Roman because he had put him in chains. You see, even and I know, and I don't have time to do this, I'm out of time, but if you go back in the Old Testament, it is very clear that those that were sojourners, those that were among them, they had to obey the law of the country. If they violated the law, whether you were a natural-born citizen or you were an immigrant, an alien, you had to obey the laws of the country that you were in. I, I, I get so tired of hearing people, well, these people aren't here legally, but they didn't break any laws. Come on, folks. I, I, I want to just grab the TV and shake it. It's like, they haven't broken any laws. No, it's not legal to do what you did. You know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Biblically, it fits. Because when you're in a country, you have to obey the laws of the country. If that says there's a process to immigrate or whatever, that's what you do. It's just not pick and choose what you want to do. It just doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, we live in a world, and uh, this world ends in this way. And I'm going to close with this. You say, I'm not sure. I think you're being political instead of principled. Here's what I know. In the future, there's a man going to come on the scene. He's going to come and set himself up as God. He's called the Antichrist. And you know what he's going to do? You know what the big thing he's going to do? He's going to have the whole world following him. One world. That's not God's design. Never has been. We need to understand that God has given very specific things. The family, the church, and government so that there is accountability and responsibility, mutual accountability. So there is a breakdown. By the way, if you work at a job, there's not the owner and then 600 employees. No, there are other people in various steps, all depends what it is, that manage what's going on. God has chosen 
He could have done it different, but he didn't. He chose to have a husband and a wife, a mom and a dad to manage their children. Pastors and elders and servants, uh, deacon, <clears throat> excuse me, deacons to manage a church. If you don't think that that's true, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and you'll find out how can he manage the household of God if he can't manage his own family. You think that's a false, you know, something doesn't work. The point is, God has designed things in a very orderly way. And when we just say, it doesn't matter, whatever happens doesn't matter, you won't find it to be a biblical principle. And so, when you look at these kinds of things, part of, not the whole, next week is, I, I, I consider myself, they, they put tags on everything these days, I'm a values voter. I look at principles. I look at what a person stands for and what they have proven. And that's how I make my decision. And I will tell you, that can lead me in very many different directions at times. But here's what I know. I need to be responsible. I need to be a steward of what God has entrusted to me. And that's all I'm challenging you to do. Be informed. Think things through. Know what the biblical principles are because what I find is people vote on personality or how they think they're a good speaker or how they dress or don't dress or what their hair looks like. You know, it just drives me crazy because God has given us the ability to think and to use things in a good, right, and proper way, to be a steward of everything he's given us. And I challenge you, that's the way we need to look at that. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. (coughs) Father, these are not easy things to do, and they're not the kinds of things we preach about on a regular basis. But Father, as we look at the truths of the Word of God, we see things that are simply straightforward, and we realize that you have a plan. You are a God of order, and you expect us to be people of order. I pray that we would be good citizens. I believe that every Christian needs to be a good citizen. We need to be obedient as far as we possibly can to those that rule over us, because indeed they are your ministers. Lord, I also know that you give us an opportunity to hold the government mutually accountable for what they do. I pray as Christians we would not be apathetic because when we're apathetic, we just allow others and those that would do wrong and harm to continue on unchecked. I pray that we would always speak, act, vote, whatever it is, according to what we know to be true. Lord, help us in that direction as only you can do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God and...